Our gospel lesson this morning comes from a very familiar passage, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't do a lot in here, but I'm going to ask you as you are able to, please stand for the reading of the gospel as you are able. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these things that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That, whosoever believes, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, open our ears that we may hear your truth, open our eyes that we may see your kingdom, and open our hearts and minds that we might know the cries of our brothers and sisters who are hurting and hungry and sometimes even dying without the knowledge of your love for them. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. You know, sometimes we think, that, or what we think is, more, is most familiar, is also the most unknown. Take the case of a, of a family that I've heard of. The matriarchs of the family had passed along a time-honored recipe for the traditional Easter ham. Along with the list of spices and herbs, rubs and glazes, cook times and basting procedures, was the absolutely strict instruction that the last three to four inches of the ham had to be cut off and completely removed. 
The order was an, an, an integral part of the recipe that their great-grandmother had passed down. Grandma continued the practice, as did her granddaughter. And when the great-granddaughter was initiated into the secret recipe, she dared to ask why. Why was it necessary to amputate the end of that holiday ham? Neither her mother nor her grandmother had an answer. And thankfully, great-grandma was still around and had a perfectly logical, if unexpected, explanation for that little detail in the recipe. My roasting pan was too short, great-grandma declared, so I had to cut off the last three inches of the ham so it would fit in the oven. Now, although the conditions had changed for the ensuing generations of cooks, they had all continued to follow those old instructions without knowing why, without embracing the new reality made possible by bigger pams, pans for bigger hams in bigger ovens. It's easy to get comfortable, to get into a routine to get in a rut and fall prey to the idea that we've never done it that way before. Thinking outside the box requires flexing some mental muscles, pushing out the walls of thoughts and expectations we find reassuring and familiar. There's perhaps no more faith-defining expression in Western Christianity than the concept of being born again. And after two millennia, it's a phrase that is so familiar that I believe it's become unknown. In the first century, to the Pharisee Nicodemus, Jesus' insistence that no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above sounded utterly bizarre. The term Jesus used to describe the required birth was anoten, a word that had two distinct meanings. Anoten could be understood to mean again, or it could mean above. Anoten had both a horizontal this world, and a vertical or heavenly connotation. And ironically, the phrase that eventually has been most claimed by evangelical Christians, born again, is exactly how Nicodemus notoriously misunderstood the term. Nicodemus was flummoxed by Jesus' declaration, and he sarcastically responded, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Now, Nicodemus was a learned religious scholar. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader in the Jewish community, and most likely he was a member himself of the Sanhedrin. Now, there's no doubt that he was com completely familiar with the dual meaning of the word. And after all, if our car beeps at us and warns us that our door is ajar, we don't think that the opening into our car has suddenly turned into a glass container with a lid. We know the inference of language. But Nicodemus could not simply accept any way of entering into the kingdom and experiencing God's presence other than adherence to Torah. By clinging to the literal, Nicodemus sought security and refuge in his old belief system, which protected him from the notion that God had sent a new presence into the world, a new possibility in the person of Jesus the Christ. To the left-brain literal mind, the metaphor of being born again was nonsense. Now, one of the hottest areas of religious research going on right now is 
the blending of neuroscience and theology, the modern mapping of the human brain's activities by neuroscience and psychoneurolinguistics has revealed that our brains have learned to delegate. The brain itself has bicameral hemispheres divided by a, by a membrane, a cartilage, known as the corpus callosum. And essentially we have a left brain and a right brain. And this division is not some, something like oh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of segregation. There's always intimate communication between the two halves through that corpus callosum. But these two spheres of the brain each have their own strengths and weaknesses. The left brain houses the home team advantage for logical, rational, sequential thought processes. The right brain gives intuitive, reactionary, environmental responses the upper hand. And together, these dual strengths have given us astonishing advances in science. It's given us the beauty of art structures for politics and power, and it's given us the magic of music. This third chapter of John reveals Nicodemus as the patron saint of left-brain people. Nicodemus, vigorously, vigor, his vigorously offensive literal response to Jesus' declaration that the coming of God's kingdom required the faithful to be born again reveals someone totally stuck in left-brain gear. When Jesus announces that God is working in a new way through the water of the new birth and through the winds of a new spirit, Nicodemus cannot get beyond the rational literalism of the left brain and utters one of the most uncomprehending statements in all of the Bible. He says, how can this be? Must I enter my mother's womb a second time and be born? Now while Nicodemus is stuck in left brain mode, Jesus talks in whole brain. But he moves right to left, starting with the right brain. The right brain talks in envisionings instead of equations, metaphor instead of mathematics, continuing stories instead of concluding summations. This whole brain response to Jesus' right brain insistence that we must be born again or from above is not how is this possible, but what must I change to do this? 20 centuries later, the church has fallen back into the original confusion that Nick at night showcased with Jesus. We know what Jesus is saying. We know that being born anoten requires a whole new perspective on faith and life. But even as the church has claimed the born again label, we're still stuck in that Nick at night mode. We still want to limit our faith to logic and rationality, to what we think and intellectually comprehend. And that's why churches have more bylaws than byproducts. That's why we cling to doctrines and dogmas instead of promises and possibilities. That's why the church is a noun and not a verb. Instead of pitting our left brains against our right brains, the children of God's creation need to embrace their whole brain. Hope for right brain people comes from the fact that Nicodemus eventually defended Jesus in John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51. And he ultimately joined with Joseph of Arimathea in claiming Jesus' body, thus providing the Messiah with a respectable burial. 
Nicodemus might not have given up being a Pharisee, though. He embraced the message and mission of Jesus and dared to be registered on the radar of both Jewish and Roman ire, both by defending Jesus and by helping to claim the body of an executed criminal of the empire. Nicodemus had finally let go of his former worldview with its boundaries and barriers. And letting go is not just a mantra for college kids on spring break. Letting go is what Christians need to do in order to embrace every day of their lives. Instead of trusting in make-sense reason and sensible logic, we need to trust equally in our sense of awe, our sense of mystery, our sense of beauty, our sense of the divine. Letting go is what disciples of Jesus should do best. For those who profess faith in Jesus as the Christ, we have to let go of the notion that God is only known through power and might, strictures and scriptures, and not through wind and water. We have to let go of the idea that triumph is not accomplished through trust and truth. We have to let go of the conviction that we can do enough right to be righteous. We have to let go of the fiction that we are good without God. You might say the very essence of discipleship is letting go. Discipleship, becoming a follower and, and not just a fan of Jesus, is a full-on, full-stop reset and reboot of our attitudes, our priorities, and our ideals to become the attitudes, priorities, and ideals of Jesus. Jesus is encouraging Nicodemus and the Nicodemus in all of us to let it go. We must let go of our control, let go of our fear, let go of our cold certainty and yield to God's Spirit. First off, we need to let go of our fear. Why does Nicodemus come in the dead of night? It's because he's afraid. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin, a senator, a privy counselor, a man of authority and influence in Jerusalem. Yet, he calls Jesus rabbi. He's curiously drawn to Jesus and even admits that Jesus must be of God. But it wouldn't be cool to be seen with Jesus in the light of day, so he comes under the cloak of darkness. Now Jesus was willing to meet with Nicodemus in the dark, even when Nick wasn't willing to come out into the open. Jesus, is, Jesus challenges the fear of Nick at night. Jesus challenges him to go deeper in faith, beyond ritual habits, beyond rational beliefs, beyond the safe and predictable, and he invites him to step fearlessly into the light. You see, love and relationships must trump fear. Spirits everything. Jesus challenges Nicodemus to enter into a new dimension, to be born of the Spirit, to trump his fear and allow his spirit to be changed. But to open ourselves up to the mystery of the Holy Spirit, we need to let go of the unknown, the untested, the unexamined, that fear of those things. Second, we need to get go, uh, to let go of our control. 
Control is the major thing that prevents us from stepping to the right. We are such control addicts that our discipleship classes ought to be called AA meetings. Twelve steps to make us alive and aware. In our gospel today, Jesus is doing an intervention with Nicodemus, helping to make him alive and aware. Now, Nicodemus' problem is his rationality, his left-brain logic and control. He's stuck in that left-brain paradigm when God has given us two brains for a reason and wants us to be whole human beings. If we dwell only in the left brain, well, that's a very cold place indeed. Because that left brain is the place of cold rationality. Our right brain is the place of hot relationality. Warmth comes from bringing the hot and the cold together. The warm place where we feel ourselves open to the mystery and creativity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus challenges Nicodemus to be born anew of water and wind, to let go of all the status that he has attained through all of his education and politics. Jesus challenges Nicodemus to let go, not just of the past, but of his present concealment of his, of his discipleship. To trust in the water and the wind is to let the storms come as they will, to trust in God's protection, and to dare to make faith not just about rationality and rules, but about relationship and emotions. When you let go of everything, you make this paradoxical discovery that you truly have everything. As everyone who has ever learned to ride a bicycle has learned, when you let go of your control, you find that ultimate equilibrium. Anybody been riding a bicycle lately? Third, we need to let go of our certainty. Not let go of our assurance. There's a difference. Not let go of assurance but let go of certainty. There's a big difference between assurance and certainty. We can have full assurance of faith, but with our faith harboring much uncertainty. When God's Spirit blows new life into our lives, the results are unpredictable. Part of the image of the wind blowing where it wills is the challenge to stop clinging to certainty and predictability. Jesus is telling Nicodemus to let it go, to take the risk of faith, to be vulnerable and open, and also to surrender to the Spirit. There's one thing that can be said about living a life that lets go of control, lets go of fear and certainty. Are you predictable? Are you living a predictable life? If you're born of the Spirit, Jesus said, you can't tell from whence you came or where you're going. In other words, you won't be able to tell what you're going to do next. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now God cares less about what we know than about how we love and whom we love. And love is not about certainty or security. We cannot be certain about God. We can only be in relationship with God. To be born of the Spirit means to allow the Spirit of Christ to live inside of you. And so I ask you this morning, 
Are you willing to let go of your certainties of who God is and what God can do? And we'll close with just an observation. Have you ever noticed that all babies are born with clenched fists? Growing up is the process of relaxing your hand, unfurling your fingers, and opening your heart in love and relationship. You're born with a grasping reflex. We have to learn a yielding reflex to let go of control, let go of fear, let go of certainty. So this morning, I invite you to let it go. And let it go to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We invite you to visit our website at mcfarlandumc.org to learn more about our church and the ministries that we provide to the Rossville and East Lake communities around Chattanooga. May God's blessings be yours.